from the gospel according to Mark, chapter 7, from verse 1 to 8. Mark, chapter 7, from verse 1 to 8. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of the disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, perches, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders, instead of eating their food with unclean hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God, and you are now holding Unto the traditions of men. May God bless his words in our hearts. Amen. Please bow with me in prayer. Lord God, we come to you and praise you this morning for the simple blessings that you give us. We think first of the blessing of your word, um, which is beautiful and which helps us and guides us. Also, It tells us about your son, Jesus Christ, and we give you praise this morning for his life, for his death, and for his resurrection. This season, as we are contemplating Jesus' death, I pray that you will center us, um, help us to turn away from all the busyness in our lives, and to open our hearts to truly understand what Jesus did for us and what we can do for him. Lord, we come to you with contrite hearts. We've lived lives that are less than perfect, and we confess to you um, that we've sinned. We pray for your forgiveness. We also come to you with broken bodies. We think of those in our congregation who are hurting, and we lift them up to you. We lift up Sarah Jimenez, Stan Can, Jerry Sutton, Ed Phelps, Bob Mai's mother, and the Kecks. Lord, we pray for healing. We pray that you will make them whole because you are the God of healing. Lord, we praise you this morning that we can come into this place and learn about you and offer our worship to you. We love you and we thank you for the gift of your son. In your name we pray. Amen. It is the doctor's first responsibility and it is the responsibility of medicine to first of all do harm. Now, hopefully they can do some good, but first of all, the doctor is to do no harm. A number of years ago, I was sitting uh, in our church, and we had a meeting, and uh, it was just kind of a fun time, and the lady who had been a nurse, was retired, shared with us some things through medical history that doctors had done that we now know were extremely harmful. For example, 
in our own country, the letting of blood, the idea that you had bad blood, you just kind of drain it out of you. Some have said George Washington may have died that way. Um, So the first thing in medicine is just not to harm people. And I've wondered as a pastor if that's not something that we ought to think more about in the church. The first role of the church should be to do no harm. And Joyce can attest there are many times that I've thought to myself as I've gone home and struggled with how's it going, and I say, I don't know if I'm making progress or regress. I don't know if we're going forward or backward. I'm not sure if I'm doing harm or good. Now, this morning, I would like to talk to you about the subject of religion. And if you saw the title, it says, How to Be Free from Religion. Religion is a very familiar word, and it's a good word, actually. It has to do with the fact that we have some spiritual or sacred traditions or values, and there is a sense in which we could say we're here this morning because we are all religious people. However, in our society, many will tell you today that I'm not Christian or I'm not into religion because religion in our world has done more harm than good. Witness the Middle East. And we could go on and on. And so for many today, religion is actually something that they look back on their lives and say, you know, I'd have been better off without my particular religion. And this morning I'd like to talk with you a bit about religion. Now, for those of you who are our guests, we are going through the Gospel of Matthew, and each Sunday between now and Easter we're talking about uh, something within the Gospel of, of Mark, rather. Did I say Matthew? Mark. I'm reading Mark. We're in Mark. Mark chapter 7. In fact, if you want to follow along in a minute, we're going to be on page 42 of the Pew Bible. When I uh, sat at my computer this week and Googled the word religion, within less than a second, there were 620 million hits that came up. I didn't get through all of those uh, topics on religion today. But today, let me say what I mean when I say the word religion. What I mean by saying religion today is that which flows into meaningless ritual, or the rules of men rather than God, or that which narrows and binds rather than opening and liberating us. Or, when I say religion, I mean that which causes us to withdraw and shrink rather than to reach out and expand. And so I am particularly using religion today in a somewhat negative or very negative sense. And uh, I want to talk to you about how to be free from religion. Several years ago, uh, in our lives, you know, we, we have lots of things we'd like to be and study, and we just, because of time, can't do all those things. And a number of years ago, I began to read a, a scholar, actually, at Claremont School of Theology, James Sanders. He wrote a lot about something called canonical criticism. It sort of fa- fascinated me. And so when I moved to California, I said, I'm going to take a class with Dr. Sanders. And I did. He's an amazing scholar, but also an amazing teacher of the Bible. And one of the things that James Sanders would challenge us to do, he said, when we read the Bible, so often we read a text and we, uh, for example, Palm Sunday. We're going to be doing that in a few weeks. And we read that and we say, oh, I'm one of those people who would be throwing palm branches in front of Jesus. I'd be taking off my coat and letting Jesus ride over it. And we always tend to identify with the good folks in the passage, Right? And Dr. Sanders says, that's probably the worst thing we can do. He said, you know, why don't we identify with the other folks? That might give us a truer picture of what the Scripture is actually saying to us. Or sometimes it's fun when you're reading, if there are several characters or groups within the Scripture, 
Just take a moment and pretend like you're each individual group. In other words, kind of put their sandals on and say, what does that feel like? And this morning I want to do that. And this morning you really get a day off. Just say, ah, thanks. Turn to your neighbor and say, hey, I get a day off. What I mean by that is, as you read the first half of Mark chapter 7, it's all about the religious leaders, the Pharisees and scribes, the teachers of the law, the lawyers. They come down from Jerusalem to intersect Jesus. Now, the Pharisees haven't been mentioned in Mark since chapter 3, when they plotted to kill him. Tension is growing around the ministry of Jesus, and so these religious leaders show up, and they're guides. And they begin to encounter Jesus, and Jesus encounters them. Now, as I read that passage, it's really easy to say, oh, those Pharisees, you know. But the truth is, who am I? I'm a religious leader. And so this morning, as I read this passage, you get a day off, because I'm really going to preach a sermon to Steve Hasper. Good deal. I say, it's about time. He needs it. And you can listen in, and I just am going to trust the process that somehow God might be pleased to speak to you or you can draw something out of this. But actually, I'm going to talk to myself today as we go through uh, the first 23 verses of Mark chapter 7. And I'm going to ask myself some questions. And so you're welcome to listen in and just kind of sit back and get comfortable and, and take the day off. There is an outline in there that I encourage you to follow, though, because you might want to call me on some of these things someday. So... Pull out that outline and let, let's go. The first question is this. Now, Johnson just read to you. By the way, what did he read about? Ceremonial washing. Yeah, you know, cleaning. Uh, how many of you have got dirty dishes in the sink this morning? Go ahead, yeah, a few of you. How many of you are lying? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it was about cleaning up stuff. You can look there in Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 8. And so I asked myself the question, Why do I do what I do? Am I into ritual, tradition, and criticism? And let's put the scripture up there that kind of summarizes these eight verses. Jesus speaking, he said to these religious leaders, or he might say to Steve, you abandon the command of God and hold on to human tradition. And so I say, Steve, why do you do what you do? Are you into ritual, tradition, and criticism? Now, I call this section, it's not about germs, it's about Gentiles. Let me explain. The story says that the disciples, the Pharisees are there, they're watching. That's interesting. They come down from Jerusalem and are not there to Jesus and say, yeah, go, man. They're here to watch him and criticize. Religious people get caught in that, don't they? We're into scrutiny. But anyhow, let's not go there. So I I read this passage and I realize it's not about germs, it's about Gentiles. In this day, as the disciples rolled up, it says they got some food. It probably wasn't a formal meal, they just went into McDonald's. And probably the old Dodge van had broken down, that Jesus traveled in a 15-passenger Dodge van. And they probably had broken down, you know, and they got their hamburgers and they came out and they were eating outside there. The Pharisees weren't concerned about whether or not there was grease on their hands. That was not the issue. It's not about germs. They were concerned about whether the men had followed this traditional washing so that they would be purified before they ate. It was a religious thing, a ceremonial tradition. And in fact, as I read a moment ago, it's had many such of these. There were lots of these things. The Pharisees, for example, if they were here and went out to Colorado Boulevard and mingled with all the slobs down there, the Gentiles, if they came back to their house or the synagogue or temple, do you know what they did? They took a shower. 
Why? Because they were dirty? No, it was a ceremonial thing. I've been out there with those Gentiles. Now I'm ritually polluted. So I'm not going to... I've got to wash off. And they would bathe to be clean. And they had all these kinds of traditions and rituals and so forth that they did. And so, Steve, you have to remember, rituals and tradition cannot make you right with God. Now, rituals can be very good. Life would be... We would all be in bad shape with rituals. Because rituals and traditions and good habits help us get through life very efficiently without expending a lot of energy. One of the reasons we're stressed out when we travel is because our rituals are broken. We don't know where the light switch is. We don't know where this is or that is. And we have to think about all these things. Rituals can be very good. Joyce and I have a little ritual about our our kitchen faucet. Um, We moved into this house. The faucet leaks. Now, I used to be a plumber. I can fix the faucet. But, of course, two years have gone by and I haven't. But finally, you know, the deal was it's a single lever kitchen faucet, you know, and you, if we would, we found out if you put it kind of in the hot position, it down pretty hard, it wouldn't leak. So, you know, every time we use the faucet, and if you came to visit, where's James? You knew about this, didn't you, James? Put the faucet in the right spot or it's going to drip. And I'm being a conservationist, I don't want leaky water. Well, finally it got to no matter how we slapped it and put it, it was still leaking. So, about a month ago, I said, well, let's fix it. So I got a new cartridge and finally got it in there, and now it works very smoothly, not a drip. But where do you think we always put the faucet? We're both laughing. And I said, you know what I'm doing? Every time I go in there and shut that faucet off, now it doesn't matter where you put it, it won't leak, but we always take the trouble to put it over to the left just a little bit. And rituals can be a very good thing in life. But if I think that rituals are going to help me be closer to God, I've got a problem. So I say, Steve, um, remember this. Jesus brings freedom and celebration. Would someone stand up? And I've got two verses here. Just read them loudly. And uh, we're, the point is, Jesus, we move from tradition and ritual to Jesus who brings freedom and celebration. Who would read this first? Well, I love this part of it. Thank you. All right, and Linda will read the next one. Now, it could have been, if I had been a Pharisee in that day and rolled down to hear Jesus, it could have been that I would listen to the gospel message that the kingdom of God is near, and I'd say, wow, the kingdom of God is near? I could have listened to Jesus who said, repent and believe the gospel, and I could have repented and believed the gospel and got a new heart. I could have done those things. I could have followed Jesus and said, do you believe that he healed this deaf man and this cripple can now walk? I could have gotten pretty happy as I watched Jesus and his ministry. And so as I read this, I have to ask myself the question, Steve, uh, why do you do what you do? And are you all wrapped up in criticism and rituals and scrutinizing other folks to see if they got it right or not? Or... Are you focusing on the freedom and celebrating what Jesus Christ does, not only in your life and in others? So I say to myself, Steve, do you criticize or do you celebrate? Are you scrutinizing the faults of others or are you looking in your own heart for your own faults? Now, that's the first question that I am asking myself today. Joyce, would you read to us uh, the next few verses in this section? Maybe, okay. Very good. I'm going to read verses 9 through 13. 
And he said to them, You have a fine way of setting aside the commandments of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother. And anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, Whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is korban, that is, a gift devoted to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. So I asked, Steve, are you a legalist? Am I a legalist? That means, am I really into keeping the rules so that God's going to be happy with me because I kept all the rules? A legalist. I define my life by the things I do and don't do. Now, as Baptists, we're pretty good at this. You know, we don't drink, we don't smoke, we don't chew, we don't go with the girls that do. Um, but let's look at the verse. Let me get on track here. Am I a legalist? The scripture says, the summary of this passage, Jesus speaking, thus you nullify the word of you, make it void in your life through your tradition. You do many things like this. And he, he uses this word Corban. And what he says is you've actually invented ways. You're supposed to honor your father and mother. But you've actually invented ways to escape what the Bible says and do what you want to do. Now, in that day, they did have the Bible, the Old Testament, and they had the Mishnah, the commentary on the Bible. There were six divisions in the Mishnah, or this commentary, six different divisions on cleanliness. There were 30 on how to clean various vessels. Can you imagine? 30 chapters on cleaning your stuff in the house, in, in, in vessels, your plates, cups, and so forth. In the case this is talking about, he said, you've invented this thing, Corbin, and it's a little confusing to me, but this kind of gets us at the at the. My mother-in-law lives in Missouri. It gets cold there. She doesn't have much money. She's on a very small social security check. So let's say that Junie calls up and says, "Steve, I'm really I'm strapped with the the gas bill. They filled up the propane tank. It's five hundred dollars. Can you help out?" And I say, "Mom, I'd love to help out." And Oh, you know what? In that pledge campaign where, we, where I made a commitment, Joyce said, we're going to give $500 to the church every couple of weeks. That money's already taken. I'm sorry. I can't help you out, Mom, because that money's for God. Now you say, well, that's just phenomenal. They wouldn't do that. Yes, they did. And many such things, Jesus said. And so I asked myself, Steve, am I a legalist? And that, are, in, in other words, you know, I've got, uh, I don't want to criticize their mission because all of us who study the Bible have shelves filled with books about the Bible. The Bible's not very big. This is it. But I've got hundreds of books to help me understand the Bible. But sometimes I can get so confused that I'm following all these books and not the Bible. Legalistic churches create places that do not help people. Rules are valuable. We wouldn't want to live without rules. I wouldn't dare drive out on these streets if we didn't have some driving regulations. You can go to some countries where there aren't very many regulations. I don't drive there. I wouldn't want to eat our food if there weren't FDA regulations. And so this is not that regulations are bad. It's the way in which we use rituals and regulations. So I remind myself, Steve, am I a legalist? And as I serve the church... What kind of culture am I creating in the church? Is it one where people go through a list and they check off, well, I didn't do that, I didn't do this, I didn't do the other? I'm really a good person because of all the things I didn't do. And yet, 
maybe I missed the heart. A number of years ago, I was sitting in my office in Granada Hills, and I got a phone call from a lady that was obviously uh, troubled. And as we talked, she explained to me she was a believer, she was very faithful in church, and she had discovered her teenage daughter uh, and boyfriend doing things that she wasn't pleased they were doing. Let's put it that way. In fact, she was just shocked that her daughter was doing what she did, and she had caught them and so forth, and you can imagine. So she called me to say, I don't know what to do. I've talked to my daughter, but I don't know how to talk to her, and what should I do? So as I began to talk to her, I didn't know if she's a believer or not. turns out a very active person in her church. And I said, well, do you have a youth pastor? Yeah. Well, maybe you and your daughter should go talk to your youth pastor. Oh, I couldn't do that. Well, maybe you should talk to your pastor. Oh, no. And as I began to push, I, I had asked her to come in, and she didn't want to see me either. Very anonymous. And as I pushed, I finally said, well, you know, I'm just not following. Why won't you go to your pastor or your youth pastor or somebody in your church? And she said, well, my husband's on the board. And if they found out about this, they'd kick him out. I thought, wow, that's a great church to belong to. When you have problems, you better go to some other church and get some help. And you see what I mean? And oftentimes, it's actually quite easy to create that culture where we all come in here and act like we don't have any troubles or cares or problems, and the very place we should turn to for help becomes a place we run away from when we're in trouble. That's a sad commentary. And I remind myself, Steve, if you're not careful, you can create or help to create that kind of church. So I say, Steve, are you into legalism or are you into Jesus' way of love? Jesus' way of love. And that's kind of a choice that I have had to make over the years. Legalism? Love. What's it going to be? How am I going to live my life? I have many other stories I could tell you about this. I wasn't going to, well, we've got time. What else is there to do today? I've shared a lot as we raised three teenage sons. They were perfect kids and never had any problems. But let's suppose... Let's suppose one of them did have a big problem. There was a time in our ministry for about two years where one of our teenage sons was just uh, making a lot of bad choices. And on a particular week, he uh, was not living with us at that time. He had chosen to go far away. And uh, we were in regular communication, but I was just not troubled by decisions he was making. I was crushed. And I said, how did the wheels come off this wagon? You know, what's wrong? And I shared with our board that Joyce and I were going to counseling with our son and that this was probably a year or two process and don't ever schedule meetings on this night because that's where we'd be. And the board said, fine, not a problem. They prayed for me, regularly asked, how's our son doing? How am I doing? And one Sunday, a particularly bad week had happened, and I said, I can't preach. So I just got up and shared. Joyce and I were struggling. I didn't want to embarrass our son, so I didn't talk about the details. But the church knew, and they were overwhelmingly positive towards us. And we got through that, the, all of us, son, father, mother, so forth. Well, during that period of time, I found out that another Baptist pastor right in Granada Hills, he had a son that was constantly running away, just disappearing. And so I called up Bruce and I said, how are you? And I heard this and shared my story. And he said, oh, we're a mess. This is terrible. And I said, Bruce, uh, you know, are you and your wife going to counseling or finding a program or something? No, I can't do that. And I thought maybe it was money. And I said, well... Tell your board. Maybe they'd help pay or something. He said, I wouldn't tell my board. Why not? Well, they'd fire me. I said, wow, well, who's, who are you talking to? Who's walking down this troubled journey with you? Nobody. 
And I agreed with him. I said, well, you can talk to me or you can talk to Joyce. And it wasn't long after that he actually left the church. I thought, wow, what kind of a church is that? Well, it's a church that's into legalism more than love. That's what kind of church it is. And there are many such churches. And so, Steve, remember that Jesus' way is the way of love. Jesus, the, the word love is over and over in Scripture. Just a couple examples. In the classic passage, Paul's writing to the church in Corinth about gifts. It's a very troubled church, but a very gifted church. And at the end of that chapter, 12, Paul says, Set your hearts, then, on the more important gifts. Best of all, however, is the following way. And that's when he launches into a whole chapter on love, the best gift. I remind you that in 1 John, over 40 times, the word love is used in those three little books, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. And in one chapter, John's this, the person who doesn't love doesn't know God, because God is love. And that's the single most important word we have to describe the divine being we believe in, is the word love. So, Steve, are you going to be a legalist or a lover? Bill Hybels, I think, is a rather amazing leader, and he is collecting stories for his church for Easter. I don't know what they're going to do with them, but he's asked people to write about a God moment in their life in a hundred words or less. Preachers could never do this, but the church members are doing it. And here's a story called, Hey Dad. My four-year-old son was sitting alone in the living room, watching Pinocchio when I came home from work. The scene came on where Pinocchio is kidnapped and his father, Geppetto, goes out into the streets yelling his son's name. My son asked me if I would punch the bad guys if this happened to him. I said, you bet I would, and whatever else I had to do to get you back. I walked into the kitchen and in a quiet moment, God reminded me that he has done whatever he had to do to get me back. The Bible says God so loved the world that he did what he had to do to get us back. And I remember that. And the reason I'm in relationship with God is because Jesus Christ paid the price on the cross. So I practice love. Steve, remember to practice love. Now, the story's not over. Jesus spent a long time with these characters, talking to them. Joyce, why don't you read the rest of uh, this section? And Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him, about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked? Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into the heart, but into his stomach, and then out his body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts, come all thoughts, Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. Hmm. So what's my next question? Chris, put that here. (laughs) 
Am I trying to look good for God or others? And I have to keep asking myself, Steve, are you trying to impress God with what you're doing? Are you trying to impress First Baptist church folks with what you're doing or how you're looking? Why are you doing, coming back to that first one, why do I do what I do? Am I trying to look good for others? Now, in this passage, in verse 15, let's put this scripture up here. I want to talk about this for a minute. This kind of the summary or heart of what Jesus is talking about. He says there's nothing outside a person that by going in can defile, but the things that come out are what defile. And he, he goes back and forth. Now, don't be stupid when you read the Bible, okay? I mean, stupid. You can say, well, that, that's not right. If I eat poison, I'll die. Yeah, Jesus knows that. Now, if you eat 12 Winchell donuts every morning for breakfast, too, you're going to die sooner. You know, you did. So what goes in can harm us. Jesus certainly knows that. Don't literal. But what he is talking about is you're not going to be made, you know, it's, it's uh, you're not going to be made unclean. Or it's not sin to what you take into your body. The issue is what's in your heart. And I have to remind myself. Now, I thought I looked pretty good today until I ran into JR. Made fun of me. But how do, you, how do I look today? I keep, JR, don't answer. Huh? All dressed up. Yeah, I got This is my marrying and burying suit. Yeah, so if you need to be married or buried, call me. I wore this yesterday, and I said, I said, I look good. You know, I could get married myself here. Now, that's important. You really don't want a preacher up there looking bad, do you? And we all know this little game about how the pastor's supposed to look and the pastor's wife. The time a pastor's wife was told, all you need to do is show up and look good. Well, that's easy. It's also the way of the Pharisees, isn't it? That I realize is if I impress these folks, if I say something sweet and nice and act right and look good, that's all I need to do as a pastor, right? And so I need to remind myself, Steve, what, why did you dress this morning? Are you worried somebody's going to be upset if you don't wear a tie? You're trying to impress them? You look good? You think God likes this nice little suit somebody bought you? A friend did buy it for me, by the way. You know, why am I doing this? I have to ask myself. And so... I remind myself, Steve, you need to get a heart checkup. Now, it really bothers me. I think Jesus should have said these things about you folks, you know, church members rather than religious leaders. But Jesus went on and said, this is from the Message Bible, it's what comes out of a person. Surely these kind of things wouldn't come out of a pastor or a Pharisee or a religious leader. But he said, guys, it's not what goes in your mouth that's a problem or the hands you use. It's what's inside. So the heart checkup, Jesus went on, it's what comes out of a person that pollutes. Obscenities, lusts, thefts, murders, adulteries, greed, depravity, deceptive dealings, carousing, mean looks, mean looks, slander, arrogance, foolishness. All of these are vomit from the heart. There is the source of your pollution. Steve, remember, you can look good and be bad. You can look bad and be good. Jesus is the one looking at your heart. So I turn back to Jesus, who offers me a relationship. All the rules, the relations, whether I dress up or down, none of that stuff is going to matter. It's about a relationship. Jesus said in verse 14, Listen to me, everyone, and understand. And as I listen to Jesus, I understand he's the one who has called to me and said, I can forgive you of those sins. 
all that stuff in the list, you know. Maybe you've given a look that could kill your heart. Maybe you've said unkind things or thought unkind thoughts. There are all sorts of things I could be involved with in my heart. Jesus can forgive me and give me a new heart and call me into a relationship that really does set me free because it's he's the one who said, if I set you free, you will be free. So remember, Jesus calls me to a relationship. As I listen to Jesus, the one who has forgiven me and given me this heart, I am in that relationship. So why do I read my Bible or pray or follow these regular practices? Well, not to impress God, but to be in that life-giving, eternal life-giving relationship with the one who loves me. So religious leader, Pastor Steve, what are you doing? Are you living in such a way that you can become a bridge across which others cross to find Jesus Christ? Or are you a barrier, not entering the kingdom yourself and blocking others from entering? Thank you for listening today. I'm going to sit down now, and I'm going to read over this little prayer that's in the bulletin and see what God says to me.